in the meal, you're going you're gonna to understand everything. Um, and so what I'm doing is just kind of highlighting a, a few different things, uh, a few major pieces, and specifically the pieces that we, uh, that we see in the gospel. And you read about Passover. And what's funny is that when, when you read about Passover, you only read small portions. And those small portions are what we've taken out and what we've, uh, and not wrongly, uh, but what we've used as, uh, as like communion, right? So everybody's kind of familiar with this practice of communion. That's kind of our thing. But the reality is that communion is a piece of Passover that's talked about in the Gospels. And as you read uh, in the Gospels, you're going you're gonna to realize that uh, there are references to other parts of the meal throughout um, the telling of the Last Supper. But why is, it not, why is it not explained fully like we're doing now? Because it's explained in the Old Testament, and it's, it's kind of this assumption that the Bible makes that you, you kind of already know what this is, what this means, what it, what it meant for Jesus to, to break bread, what it meant when it said, and after they ate, he did this. It's like, okay, you, you already have a working understanding of Passover, and so you know what he's saying within that, uh, within that context. Problem is, we don't know what he's saying within the context. We haven't really studied it. And so um, anyway, so I, I think doing this will give us a real full understanding um, of, of what is actually taking place in the Gospels and what it meant when, when Jesus did what he did and said what he said within that Passover meal. Because you got to understand, Passover had tremendous significance. Everything uh, was extremely important to them. Uh, it was the celebration of their, uh, of what? what? What was it a celebration of? You remember? We talked about it last week. Yeah, yeah. It was their is their rescue out of Egypt. It was them. Uh, it was them being saved from the the uh, the ten plagues, and more specifically, Passover. The name uh, is speaking of the tenth plague, where uh, the uh, the angel of death moved over Egypt, and all who were not covered by the blood of the lamb uh, perished. Right. And so we understand everything we talk about in the New Testament is based on the understanding of that celebration. It is the oldest oldest celebration, oldest feast, oldest whatever, you call it holiday, I don't know what you want to call it, but the oldest in the world, okay? It's the oldest in history. No, no other thing has been celebrated uh, for as long as Passover. So when Jesus comes on the scene, this is not a new deal. He's celebrating something within the context of culture. Does that make sense? And I've kind of explained that every time. You're like, move on. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, just want us to have a, a working understanding of that. So uh, let's just, let's pray and ask the Lord to, that we would see uh, what he has for us to see here and, um, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we love you. And, and Lord, we, we know that you have a tremendous amount to say to us uh, through this time. Well, we know that if, if your son said within this feast, if he said that this is me, uh, then there is certainly uh, much to us for us to gain uh, from from what he said about his identity and about what that means uh, to us. So, Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes this morning. 
Father, you, we know that your spirit transcends culture. We know and confess to you that you know that we don't know what it's like to be uh, Jewish and to live in, uh, in Jewish culture, but that doesn't mean that you can't speak to us about the significance of what took place within that culture and about your son. You sent him as Jewish Messiah. We take part in that, Lord, and we just pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the significance of what that means. So that's what we ask for, Lord, this morning, is, is not just understanding in our head, but the illumination uh, by your spirit of our heart to who your son is. Not was, uh, but is. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you ready to roll? We're going to kind of do a, a fast version, and we're going to get to a point, and I'm going to talk about two things this morning. Really, what we're going to talk about this morning is really what comes out of uh, communion. So um, we're going to go fast up until that point, and then we're going to stop. So don't be overwhelmed by all the this, this speed. I think you'll be able to uh, catch up with that within the, uh, the Seder uh, after church, which you'll all be at, because it's going to be awesome. We have actual unleavened bread. It's cool. Okay, so what's the very first thing? Quiz. What's the very first thing that happens within this feast? Happens on Shabbat as well. Candles lit by who? Mother, why? Brings forth the light of the world, right? The woman brings forth the light of the world, which was Christ. So it's the woman here that lights uh, the candles. Really, this is not just Passover. Remember, this is, this is everything. And I said, I'm going to go fast. So here we go. You ready? Then there is uh, the first cup. And we talked about the first cup. Jesus drank of the first cup and said he's not going to drink of this cup again until he drinks it um, in the kingdom uh, of heaven, okay? And this is the cup of sanctification, okay? So the first cup, these are four glasses. They're, all, they're filled with wine. And this is the first cup, the cup of sanctification, all right? After the cup of sanctification was partook in, there would be a washing of hands. Now, this is what we spent a lot of time in last week, okay? There, was, there would be a present on the table, uh, a bowl. And you're going to have this when you go downstairs, but um, there was a bowl. And everybody uh, would, would wash their hands, in the bowl, okay? The bowl would be passed uh, and people would wash their hands. It's a cleansing, right? It's a cleansing for the meal. But this is the point uh, when Jesus kind of steps outside of this. Um, and you gotta understand, within that, within that culture, they didn't have uh, cool kicks like we do, okay? They, they walked around and, and the, they didn't have pavement either. So feet got extremely dirty. If you're, you would not have done well if you're not a foot person in that culture because feet were nasty <laughs> because feet uh, treaded the, the, the ground and were not covered by these uh, fancy shoes and socks like we have now, right? It was, it was essentially uh, barefoot, okay? But there, were, there were sandals certainly, but uh, barefoot on gravel and dirt roads. If you ever go to Israel, you will see the terrain is not, uh, they were not walking on like golf course grass. <laughs> this is like uh, the desert, Okay. And so uh, tradition would be then when you came to a house that you would stop at the front door at, this, at the entrance uh, place and uh, there would be a servant that would wash your feet. So you weren't tracking in uh, all the junk from the outside and, and feet would be, would be washed. And so it's at this point in the meal when it was just supposed to be the washing of hands that Jesus makes this expression of his servanthood. And we talked about it last week. He makes an expression of his servanthood and he removes what? Anybody remember the, the, the Hebrew name for this garment, the outer garment that he wore? Come on, starts with a K. Who, who remembers it? Somebody said it? Yeah. Good job. Um, 
That's, I like when you remember stuff. Uh, he removes the, the kittle. And what, what was the kittle? It was, uh, it was the garment that signified him as the leader, but it was also a priestly garment. It was completely white to show his uh, worthiness to lead the meal. It was, it was a symbol of purity. It was also what, he, what a Jewish man would wear many times in a wedding ceremony and sometimes even in, uh, in burial. But Jesus removes this garment, this priestly garment, and he, uh, this is cool, this is scripture, he, he becomes the servant. Okay, And instead of this just being a time where they wash hands, Jesus goes and he, he makes this expression of a servant and he washes feet. Okay? And we talked about this last week. I'm not going to go to the, uh, to the depth of that explanation, but it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous statement that he makes by the removal of that garment and the washing of feet. Then there would be a dipping of parsley. And I don't actually have all the stuff. It will not be plastic today. Sorry. It will not be plastic today. Like this is uh, little kids <laughs> play food <laughs> and it's labeled. Um, but uh, there, there's parsley uh, on the table and there's, there's different explanations for the parsley. Uh, but, but really there's, there's parsley and then there's salt water. And they would take the parsley and they would dip uh, the parsley into the salt water and they would eat uh, the parsley dipped in the salt water. The salt water signifying uh, the tears of slavery. Remember, we're talking about a rescue from slavery. So what this whole thing is designated to symbolize is a rescue, right? They're remembering where they came from. This is significant for us. And, and scripture says that they're only to celebrate the Passover in the land that the Lord has given them. So in the fullness of the life that the Lord had intended and given to them is where they were supposed to celebrate this Passover. This is significant for us because we celebrate the, in the fullness of what the Lord has given us in his Holy Spirit is when we, we celebrate what he did uh, for us in this rescue and salvation, right, from slavery. Very much speaks to us. So they dip the salt water. Some say that the, the parsley represents Israel. It's this, uh, this spring leaf and that uh, dipping in the, in the salt water was representative of them passing through the Red Sea, okay? But they would dip the, uh, the, the parsley. And then there would be this point where uh, the youngest in the family would ask four questions. And we'll go over again. We'll do this in, downstairs. But he would ask four questions. And basically what he was asking in this time was why is tonight different than all other nights? Okay, so, so Passover happens once a year. They have this uh, celebration, this moment, once a year. And so once a year, every child in the, in the family, obviously, because it's always the youngest, so everybody gets a shot at this, but they would ask the head of the table, why is this night different from all other nights? And they would ask it in, in four, four questions. They would talk about uh, why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we dipping our vegetables? Uh, why, are we, why are we reclining? Um, why, why are we doing this time different than any other time we've ever done? And, and basically what this does is it allows the father to then begin answering the questions. And so the whole feast from that point on is the father answering the questions of the youngest. Which is, which is tremendous. This is a, this is a big, uh, I think, family teaching moment, that it's the father that is passing down and explaining the heritage of the, of the rescue, right? And so the, the, from youngest to oldest, there is, a, there is participation in the retelling of the rescue from Egypt. And so uh, he begins to, to answer the four questions. And at this point, this is kind of cool. I'll show you this. At this point, the uh, first question that the kid asks is about unleavened bread. And so when the father starts to answer the questions, there is a, there is a, um, a bag 
that's on the table. And in the bag, and you can kind of see in here, there's three compartments. Each compartment is filled with a piece of unleavened bread, okay? So there's three compartments, three pieces of unleavened bread. Now, what does leaven represent? Okay, what, is it, what does it represent in Scripture? What, what is leaven? Paul talks about it. What is leaven? What does it signify? Sin. Yeah, he talks about how don't, don't let, because a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole uh, lump, right? And, and, he, and he talks about purging ourselves from leaven. Paul's speaking back into what, what this, man, again, our understanding of this will, will really reshape a lot of the things that we see in Scripture. But, but leaven represents, uh, represents sin. And so when we have three pieces of unleavened bread, we have three, uh, what, what, else, what else do you know is in three in Scripture? Yeah, like the biggest piece, <laughs> right? What's, what's the three of the Trinity? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Which of those has sin? None. So there's three pieces of leaven, none with sin. <laughs> and so anyway, at this point, the father would take the middle piece. Okay, I'll make sure I'm getting the middle piece. Take the middle piece of matzah. It's really interesting and pretty fragile, actually. Uh, it kind of looks different uh, everywhere else, but because um, it's, how, it's, kinda, it's how you bake it. But if you can kind of see, and I, I don't know if I should, I won't pass it around, it's kind of crumbly, but can you see the, um, the holes in it. Uh, and you can't see it as well, but a lot of times because of the way it's cooked, you can see uh, stripes. Uh, just, again, because of the way it's cooked, it's almost like it's been grilled uh, is, is kind of the look that it has. But it has holes in it and it's been grilled looking. And without explanation, the father would break the bread in half. And I don't have one here. I should have. Uh, he, would, he would set one down, and then he would take the other piece. And again, this is without explanation. This is before he starts explaining uh, about matzah. He would wrap it up uh, in, a, in a rag, and I don't have one here, but... And he would hide it away. And you can imagine in a, within a family, when you hide something, what's going to happen? The little kids are... <laughs> Why is he hiding that thing? You know, like, anybody else, when you're a kid, you hide something, I'm finding it, <laughs> you know and so he would, he would, without explanation, and this is what's, this is, uh, this piece of bread that's hidden is called a fecomen. The word means uh, d- dessert, uh, is essentially what it, what it is, uh, but he hides it away for later. And at this point, uh, again, it's different within different families, but uh, kids could look for it. So I guess depending on how well uh, father hid uh, the, uh, the afikomen, but they would, they would look for it. And there'll be a point when we're going to talk about where it will come back, uh, into play. They would hold it for a ransom if they found it. Uh, so it's, you know, it's kind of fun, but it also, it has tremendous, uh, significance there. And then there would be, uh, there would be a huge meal, which you're going to get to partake in today. There's going to be some killer food, um, today. So they would, they kind of go through this first part of the, uh, of the ceremony, and then there would be a, a meal. Okay, bear with me. I know this is a lot of details and you don't conk out because you're lack of energy. And then after the meal, remember I said that the ofikomen, and we just did that like really fast, but the ofikomen was the dessert. 
And this is where I want to spend uh, a lot of time. I want you to go to Luke. I say a lot of time. It's not that much. <laughs> that clock tells me <laughs> how much time. I want you to go to Luke. So remember, after the, the Afikoman comes back into play, and go to chapter 22. After this big meal has been, has been had, And if at this point the children found it, uh, then the father would uh, pay. This is cool. The father would pay the ransom uh, for the uh, afikoman to be returned, okay? And so we've had this other piece, but uh, at this point he, he gets it back, okay? And again, everything kind of looks different. Ours are... Uh, a little bit long and skinny. Some are like these perfect uh, squares. Some are more brittle than others, depending on how you cooked it. Forgive us. This is our first time <laughs> we've ever cooked our own unleavened bread, so it is what it is. Uh, but Anna did an awesome job um, on it. And this is significant to us, and I want us to, I want us to read this, this portion. In Luke, you in Luke 22? I did tell you 22, didn't I? So there would be, there would be a blessing, and I, let's, just, let's just read it. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might uh, put him to death, for they were afraid um, of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers um, how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he uh, consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him uh, to, uh, to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover uh, for us so that we may eat. And we, we talked about last time, this preparation would have been, they would have been uh, not only preparing the, the table, but they would have been preparing the place, removing leaven from, uh, from the, the residence, okay? Then they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said, when you have entered into the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And we had, when he had taken a cup, now we just, said, we just said that. So when he had taken a cup, cup of sanctification, and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant of my blood. And so, and, and you, can, you can look at this, uh, this story in all the Gospels. In all the Gospels, obviously they're telling the same story, but you see different pieces of the story. And what we understand uh, is that at this point, after they had eaten the meal, Jesus takes the bread. And this is when he's about to break uh, the bread. Now remember, uh, this, is the, this, is, uh, this is what he says. So he's going to hold up this piece of bread. 
because this is what they would do before everything. They would hold up the, the, the piece of bread, the wine, the parsley, whatever it was they were about to partake in, and they would, they would say a blessing, and then they would uh, partake in it. So this is, this is how this would, would have gone. Jesus would have held up this bread, and he, would have, and he would have blessed the meal by saying, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he tells them, we, we see that this is my body. Now, what does that mean to us? We, we have to now look at what this bread is that Jesus would say, this is my body. Well, we've already said that it's unleavened. What, do you, what does that mean? This without sin. So Jesus holds this up. He says, this is, this is my body. It's without sin. What else do you notice about the bread? We've already talked about it, but what else do you notice the, the physical characteristics of the bread? Yeah, the holes. Is a scripture pop in your mind about holes or about piercings or about piercings for your transgressions? And it also has stripes, and you can't see them well on here, but it also has stripes. Scripture pop into your mind about stripes. How about in, how about in Isaiah? What does he say about stripes? Come on. Anybody? Yeah. Come on. I, I'm not like mad at your Bible trivia. I'm just saying like, look at this. He holds this piece up, this without sin. He says, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's pierced. He's pierced for our transgressions. And it's also striped. And it says, by his stripes, we're healed. This is, this is not part of the supper, right? This is not part of the normal, uh, normal everyday routine of the Passover for somebody to say, oh, by the way, this is me. It would just be blessed and broken, but Jesus stops them. And this is, what, this is what's happening. Remember what Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And Paul says that these feasts and these festivals and the Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come, but the fulfillment of them is where? In Christ. And look, and here's what we're looking at. We're looking at Christ himself saying, look at me, I'm the fulfillment of what you've been doing for 3,500 years. You have been preparing every single year, telling the story of freedom from slavery into life. You have been telling this story in preparation for me to come. That's why they would have recognized the moment when, when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would have connected that very quickly to Passover because in Passover, it's the Lamb of God that took them out of slavery and into life. Does this make sense? You can imagine at this point that Jesus has very much the attention of the disciples and that the, the wheels are beginning to turn, right? As I hope yours are. The significance of what he's doing within this ceremony is saying, this isn't just, this isn't just a, a, a remembrance anymore. There's a fulfillment of it, and the fulfillment of it is right here. Jesus even says, I'm the what of life. I'm the bread. What did he just pray? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. What bread comes out of the earth, you know? <laughs> What does Messiah do? That, does, I mean, he literally comes out of the grave, right? 
He's speaking about what he's about to do. This is the bread that's about to come out of the earth. And he says, who does it? He even gives credit to God. That, and it says, scripture says, that God raises him from the dead. Jesus didn't do it. God raises him from the dead. God is the one that brings forth uh, unleavened, pierced, and striped bread from the earth. Wow. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what the, the word Bethlehem means? Place of bread. Are you beginning to see that the Lord left no detail out? Are you beginning to see, the, the, this is, Jesus was not some like secret mission that came in and nobody really knew what he was doing and then he kind of announced this crazy idea that he would be Messiah and, and people hated him for it and then he was, and then he was put on the cross. No, this was, this was an expression of Father God from way, 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 way back. He had been preparing these hearts and minds of his people to receive a Messiah that he had told them about in the prophets and Jesus comes on the scene and says, it's me. The reason we don't see a lot of expression of the, the details of who he was in the New Testament is because it's all in the Old Testament. Just read your Old Testament scripture. Jesus is present and is the expression of the Old Testament. That's why they, in the New Testament, there's no like, okay, let me tell you about what the Passover means. And we go through this, this symbolism because it's already been done. In Exodus 12, God sets up a feast that they will celebrate to look for the sun. You see this? And so he holds it up, he blesses it, and this is, this is the part I can barely handle, and I have to do it twice today. And he says um, that they, they're going to eat it, but before they eat it, he doesn't just pass it around. Tradition of Passover is that it gets broken, and then passed out. So right after Jesus says, this is me, this is my body, and what happens to his body? It's crushed and broken. And then look at this. This is insane. He, he hands out, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to do it now because it's not right. You'll do it in a minute. But he hands, he hands his body out, and what do they begin to do? They begin to eat this bread. <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't even, I can barely speak in these moments because the significance of what he's saying. That they literally ingest the broken and perfect body of Christ. And then there's a, uh, I don't, are you guys, it's like, it's hard to move on from that moment. But then the, it, it gets cooler. Then there's um, another cup. And this is the cup of redemption. And we read about it and it says, uh, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, remember this is after the meal and after the bread. Saying this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And we read past that very quickly because we don't, there's a lot that's in that phrase that he's talking about that we don't connect with. But let me just show you just for a second, just some of the hugeness of this. 
What he's saying is uh, there's a covenant. There is a new covenant. This new covenant is represented uh, in, in this blood. But what would happen for uh, this, he's speaking into a very common practice within this culture, and it's a practice of, uh, of covenant, number one, but a specifically of covenant of marriage. When, when, uh, when marriage took, it's very, very not, not like what we do now. Uh, I guess there's some similarities, but, but now we do this like dating. You get to know each other. I want to be friends first. We do, or, or you get the like horrible phrase, which is, I think we're better friends. You know, that's, <laughs> no. <laughs> but we have this kind of this, this courtship moment. And then there's what we call the engagement period. And then there's a, there's a ring given. Uh, and that ring is a promise of engagement, right? You, you kind of, you're like, yes, we know the story. Right? And, then, and, then there's, and then there's marriage. And marriage, we always, we always talk about uh, marriage is, uh, is a covenant, right? You've, heard, you've probably heard that in weddings, that this is, that this is a covenant. Well, surprise, uh, this is not Western culture that made something new up. This is uh, taken directly from, uh, from Scripture. But what would happen actually is, uh, and this is set forth in Scripture, Re- Rebecca uh, marries a complete stranger. It was not, it was not, crazy for them. In fact, it was pretty normal for them to uh, become engaged to someone that they did not know at all. It's kind of, you kind of like this little stalkerish. It is kind of a stalkerish uh, story, but literally what would happen uh, would be that uh, a, a Jewish man would be, uh, or boy, they got married much younger, would be out um, and or know this person, but he would see or find the woman that he wanted to marry. Look, check this out, whether he knew her or not. <laughs> Y'all ought to gear up for this. <laughs> it's getting awkward in here. <laughs> I don't like this talk. <laughs> whether he knew her or not, and here's the deal. He would, he, it's extreme stalker. He would follow her home. <laughs> yeah. He would follow her home, but here's, he, he wouldn't just follow her home, like follow her home to, to watch her. Uh, the moment that he knew uh, that he was going to marry this girl, he would, he would follow her to her place of residence because she would be with her father, right? She would, she's going to be with her father until the moment that the husband uh, takes her away. And we, we do this. That's why in, in weddings, we have the moment where, uh, where dad gives the bride away, right? You, right? So you follow her home, and in his hands, there would be two things. A contract, like that's awesome, <laughs> and a cup of wine. And he would get to this place where he was going, and Lindsay, come here. We're going to reenact the way I propose. I'm just kidding. I followed her home, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> so she would, um, well, we don't have a chair but you would be seated. You just come right over. We would, be, we would be sitting down. You would be sitting down because here's the deal. At this point, she knows uh, what, I'm, what, what is happening. This is not like a, and she's preparing herself, right? Girls, imagine this. Like the pressure of saying no on a date. Can you imagine the pressure of like, I got to decide right now if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this guy, right? Not, are we going to go to the movies, right? So uh, like we don't do the movies anymore, so. So she would be seated, and he would pour. And I wish I had this stuff. I'm not prepared. He would pour um, the the. Gla- Thank you. We are improvising, Nestle. Thank you. 
you're not going to drink it. Well, you should, but you don't have to. Because that means something about us if you don't drink it. <laughs> so he would, he, would, he would sit her down and, and there would be a contract. Now here's the deal. This wouldn't just be the two of them. Father would be present. Father was always looking over this, this time. And Father knew the significance of this moment. Wine would be poured and a contract would be presented. Now the contract, and this is interesting, the contract was not sealed by signature the way we sign contracts. The contract was sealed by the drinking or the not drinking of the cup of wine. Now keep in mind, in the back of your mind, what Jesus was doing. The covenant or contract was presented. And at this point, the man is in like massive... uh, what do you call it? Deliberate, like freaked out, okay? Because now he's watching her because all of this marriage rides upon whether she will drink the cup or not. And at the point where she drinks the cup, and we're just gonna, I, I didn't clean these, so uh, you drank the cup. She would drink the cup and that would mean something. That would mean that she has said yes to my proposed covenant. Make sense? And the contract would then be in effect because of the drinking of the wine. And this would be a very exciting moment for the young man because at this point, it wouldn't just be uh, about um, the moment anymore. But this would set into motion a lot of activity. He would then say to her, I'm going to prepare a place for you." you. Do you hear scripture? He would tell her, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And what she would do is then she would begin to veil herself in public. This is where the wedding veil comes in. Everywhere she'd go, she would have a veil on, right? Because she was spoken for. She was taken. And, she, and I would leave, okay? And, and there would be some celebration in, within the family and there would be some celebration uh, with me, but this is not the point of celebration. This is where it gets very, very busy. You can go back. Thank you. You did an awesome job. Isn't she a good bride? <laughs> That's exactly how I proposed. So he would begin to go and prepare a place for his bride. Now, let's, let's not move too quickly past what Jesus did. What does Jesus say? He says, this is my Covenant. This is my, he's speaking in terms of a marriage proposal. Again, this is one of those moments that's outside of the normal Passover meal. Normally there's no presentation of a cup that says, this is my covenant. That's, Jesus is speaking into it to say what he's doing. He's presenting a covenant with over a glass of wine and the accepting of that covenant when the disciples drink and Jesus says, drink this, accept my proposal. Listen, people, we, we, We have never seen him. At this this point, and I'll go back to that, but at this point, the, the groom would send gifts. And if it was a stranger, if it was a stranger, they would send gifts ahead of time. Tons and tons and tons of gifts representing who uh, the, the groom was, right? And the, and the bride would, would begin to, okay, something's about to happen. There's a proposal coming because these gifts are here and I know my groom by the gifts. Well, I want, you to, I want you to see this here. We have never actually seen the person of Christ. 
but he's given us the gifts. He has lavished upon us all of who he is in the Holy Spirit. So though we have never beheld Christ, we have seen his gifts. And he says, drink of this cup because here's the deal. And what does he tell the disciples? I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And what would happen is the man would quickly leave and he would go to his father's house and he would begin at his father's house, his father's place to prepare uh, a bridal chamber. What does Jesus say? In my father's house, there are many rooms. And he would begin to prepare this chamber. And here's the deal. The son never knew when it was time to return for his bride. He had to complete the chamber. He had to complete it to the point of the father's approval. The father of the son, right, was always watching him build. And there would be a point where he would say, if, if Josh was my son and Josh was, which we could, I mean, you look a little bit like me. He's handsome, that's why I picked him. So if he was, if he was building this, this, uh, this house, I would be watching. Because the reality is, if Josh was gonna be going back for his bride, and it, all that mattered was him fixing this place, he would probably throw up a shack and, and go back because he's gonna go get his bride. That's an exciting place. And so th that's why it's under the watchful eye of the father. And there would be a point where I would say, okay, Josh, it's ready. Go get her. And, then the, and you, he would gather his best man and, his, and, and his, his bridal party or whatever you wanna call it, and they, would, and they would return to where she was. And every night from the point of proposal, Every night, because it's always thought that the, that the groom would come back at midnight. Every night, the bride would prepare uh, her lamp. And she would, she would wait throughout the night watch to listen to see if her groom was coming back. Every night, this is what she would do. She would wait in anticipation for his return. And when he got close enough, this is so cool. When he got close enough, the best man, because they didn't want to just like surprise them, though this was a little bit of a surprise. They didn't want to surprise them and just snatch them away. They wanted that, that moment of final preparation to take place. But when, the, when they got close enough within earshot, the, the best man would shout. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Oh, you got to see this. I don't, I don't want this to just be... The best man would shout and everybody would hear this, this moment. The bride and her bridesmaids would hear this moment and the anticipation, can you imagine? The anticipation would build, especially if this was a stranger. This, this woman's about to see this man for the very, very, very first time. First Thessalonians chapter four in verse 16. Somebody read it out loud. Read it really, really loud. This is a shout moment. In verse what? 16. Come on, read it loud, read it loud. 416. The Lord's coming back with what? Anybody's translation say a shout? Oh, <laughs> you see this? The Lord is bringing the, the whole bridal party and it's when, when it's time, the, the arrival of our bridegroom will come with a shout and we will know that he has come and the dead in Christ will rise and this will begin our season of marriage. 
This is what Jesus is saying. In Hebrews, it says that no covenant was completed without blood. And Jesus proposes marriage to us in this ceremony. And, it's, and he says, why does he say this is my blood? This isn't just because wine is red. He says this is my blood because it's what held the sealing of the covenant. It was his blood shed that was the sealing of the covenant. And so when we drink this cup, listen, communion is so much bigger than you ever thought it was. You are drinking and remembering your covenant with your groom. Don't get, guys, don't get weird about this. <laughs> like let, let yourself kind of go on this and, and, and as a unit now understand why we're called the bride of Christ. Listen, there is a person of Christ who is passionately in love with us. And we don't see his face. He seems as a stranger. But he has sent all that he is for us as a gift ahead of time. That we may, that we may know him, though we have not seen him. And this is all for a very specific purpose. Not because he's going to, what does he say? I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm sending you me. Because I have to go. Because this is what I do. I have to leave you so that I can prepare a place. Because there is a day coming when we will wed, when we will be married. And I want you to anticipate this moment. You are my bride. Prepare yourself for my return. Dude, and this is what he says in the expression of this, of this moment. And the disciples, they would understand. You see this, they would get it. They know, they know this. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, this says a lot, but what it says to me is, oh, prepare for your groom to return. I think we've missed it. I, I really think that we've, we, have, we have stopped aching for the return of Christ. You know what? I feel like, I feel like scripture has... has uh, we've, we've very much uh, understood it based on like lifestyle and how we're supposed to live. And we've understood it in terms of, okay, Christ is calling me to die to myself. And, and there's a lot of facets that we, that we understand. But as a church, as the bride, as who we really, really are, we have stopped aching for the return of our groom. And I wonder if it's because we never knew he was our groom. I wonder if it's because we missed that piece of it. I wonder if it's because we've, met, we've vastly misunderstood what he was saying by the sealing of his covenant with, with his blood and by what communion actually means. This is, our, this is our, uh, our groom who is preparing a place for us but has not left us alone here. He has sent all of his gifts, the fullness of his gifts here. But can you imagine? Like put yourself, and girls, you may be able to do this easier than guys, but guys, we've got to do it. Put yourself in that moment of midnight I want to tell you that, and I can only compare it to this. The highest point of anticipation in my entire life was on my wedding day. I, I'll just tell you that I stood up there waiting for her to come around the corner, and there was no greater anticipation of my entire life than what my bride would look like on that day. That's the only thing I can really compare the anticipation to. But I want to ache for Christ's return the way I ached to see her come around that corner. And I want to be, be blown away when I hear the shout. You know, 
I want that level of anticipation to be so, so huge, not because it's an emotional thing, but because I have trusted and signed the contract because I have committed to my groom before, before there was really any evidence, but he's given me all things. And I've surrendered my life to him and said, I, I am yours. And he says, okay, I'm coming for you. Man, for us to, for us to connect with that is powerful. For us to seek and desire and call after our groom, come on. This is, not just some, this is not just some arbitrary moment that we go, no man knows the time or the hour, so we're just chilling. It's like we should be aching for him to return. Yes, we don't know when. But he said, he said watch for these things because this, this means it's close. Because I want to tell you that according to tradition, Christ himself doesn't even know. He's waiting for the Father to say, go get him. Go get her. It's ready. I'm like, I gotta sit down. <laughs> Man, he will descend with a shout for his bride. And she would be ready at midnight. She would have prepared herself. She would have been waiting. And I pray that's who we would be, a bride really waiting and anticipating the return of the groom. So Lord, that's awesome. I, it's like you knew how shallow we were and so you explained everything. Yeah, I'm so glad you didn't leave it up to me to figure this stuff out. But you said, you said this is the complete expression of who I am. This is how you know who I am. Uh, and and you, said, you said that all you have to do, all you have to do is drink of this cup. All you have to do is receive the covenant that I have promised. The covenant is not up to you to keep, it's mine. You said that to Abraham when you walked through the covenant alone, that the keeping of the covenant is on you. All we have to do is partake in it. All we have to do is rest, stand in it. All we have to do is be uh, completely lavished upon with the gifts that you've given until the point that you come back and get us. So Lord, I pray that we would not be found unprepared. And Lord, I also pray that our preparation would not come in our works, but that our preparation would come in our abiding in the gifts that you've given. That you would find us ready, not because we got busy and did stuff, but because we received your gifts and the fullness of your gifts and we rested in those. And you came back and you saw a bride who had used and, and uh, partook in your Holy Spirit as it is the expression of you and what you gave for us to live in. Lord, I pray that today, as we, uh, man, as we just, as we see this, that our hearts would swell um, knowing how richly you love us. Hmm. Lord, just, just blow us away with your love. And it just changes the way I say in Jesus' name, but in Jesus' name, amen.